Being tuned in means Joe Thomas. Now, the Charlie Kirk Show at noon. Seville 1075 and 1260 WCHV. How do you know the Democratic Party is sure they're going to lose the control of the Virginia House of Delegates and lose it badly this year? We had this story for you last year. The former head of the Democratic Party of Virginia has filed a lawsuit in advance to have a judge rule. Paul Goldman is arguing that the House of Elections this fall will, quote, be done under unconstitutional redistricting plan in a federal lawsuit. He's seeking a court order to mandate an extra General Assembly election in 2022 after new House districts are drawn. So not only is Paul Goldman so sure that they're going to lose badly this year. He's also seemingly fairly sure that once the nonpartisan redistricting commission that we were all told was going to be nonpartisan is going to draw districts that he stands a much better chance of winning back control over policymaking for schools and for police departments across the Commonwealth. I mean, you tell me, does that tell you anything other than that? That A, he's pretty sure they're going to lose control this year, and he also believes that the supposed nonpartisan redistricting commission is going to be partisan. And again, there are simple fixes to this. Get back to a proportional representation so you're not trying to find a way to squeeze several hundred thousand people into a Senate district in Virginia. Tens of thousands of people have to be figured out, and then people say, well, don't break up our communities of interest. What exactly you know, makes a community of interest? The you know, Lynchburg and Roanoke area doesn't want to be split up. Well, have you ever, I mean, I'm sure you have. You go to Lynchburg, go to Roanoke. They're entirely different towns. Why don't they want to be sort of political power, political clout? They want Lynchburg to be countermanded by Roanoke. So, you know, you you have an electoral district that includes Lynchburg and Roanoke. It's less likely to be a Republican. That's their belief anyway. As they rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic, they're sure that the districts will be drawn to their benefit because they so thoroughly believe that telling you that you're incapable of anything and that you need the government to send you a check, and if you vote for the other guy, you're not going to get a check, is going to be a winning campaign strategy that even a district that's 50-50 which is interesting in a state where we don't register by political party membership anyway. Those who are registered, you may have voted, but if you've registered, you know that you don't tell them which political party you're in. Let me get to you at 434-964-1075. I may be the only one who gets both of those inferences from Paul Goldman's lawsuit. Good morning. Who's this? 
Hey, Joe, it's Clark. Hey, Dr. Clark. How you doing, sir? Well, I'm putting right along. So you made me think of something just a second ago, talking about losing control. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed the pattern? The Democrats, and it's local, state, federal, doesn't matter what level. They get control, and they implement their plans which they know are going to be unpopular, but they implement them knowing they'll lose control, and then they do lose control. And so Republicans are in control, and Republicans won't roll back what the Democrats have done, or they won't implement their plans. They lose the enthusiasm of their base, and the Democrats are back in control, and they implement their plans. And so the ball keeps getting moved leftward, but it never goes back the other way much. Yeah, you've you've pretty much summed up life in the big city these days. That that has been the movement of the American left for a hundred years now. Is we'll push forward five yards, we'll fall back three, uh, and then regroup and push forward another five yards. Uh, and then we'll roll back and, all right, well, yeah, yeah, just listen to Newt Gingrich, listen to, you know, Paul Ryan, yeah, 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 whatever. Uh, and they know they're just going to make a comeback story in a couple of years when they sell the idea. And, and this is why socialism is such a siren song, isn't it, Clark? Because it sells you on the idea that creature comfort, immediate comfort, is preferable to liberty because liberty is daunting and scary and unknown and... You know, I, you know, we have a we have, we have a wealthy nation. Why should I have to struggle? Well, yes, terrify people that there's a booger man out to get them, and then offer them safety and security in exchange for their rights and freedoms, which they can't provide anyway. But by that point, you have no rights or freedoms to challenge whether or not they've kept you safe in the first place, which is sort of the dark, you know, postscript to the story. But then, you know, at the, at the end of the day, though, isn't isn't what's happening in Havana? I, I'll tell you what. Can you hang on for a second here? Because I want to ask you about Havana. I want to bring up this uh, ballot test, uh, this uh, this um, poll that was put out of the field for the other folks. But I want to ask you about what we're seeing in Havana, what we're seeing in Hong Kong, as uh, you know, folks who have you know constitutional letter of integrity regarding their God-given rights or fighting for them anyway. Can you hang on a sec? Sure. Like us. Follow us. Just don't touch that dial. You don't know where that finger's been. Charlottesville's homepage. Seaville 1075 and 1260 WCHV. Uh, to bring up my favorite comic character. Yeah. In a response to a text I got from my buddy Frank. But first, we were talking with Dr. Clark about, uh, you know, it started out with the redistricting suit and uh, the idea that uh, this guy Goldman is so sure that 
the, the Democratic Party is going to lose uh, in 21, that he wants a lawsuit to force us to have a second and third you know, annual General Assembly elections once the nonpartisan redistricting commission uh, does what apparently I was concerned about in the first place, but I was you know, told I was spreading misinformation, uh, be partisan about it. But uh, Dr. Clark, what do we learn from watching people who have never grown up under the idea that they have God-given rights to independence, to liberty, uh, to free thought, to free association, protesting for it in Cuba and in Hong Kong, and what message should that send to us as we you know, seem to be more interested in will the $600 a month checks keep coming? Well, Joe, the message that it sends to me is you can have 62 years of brutal repression and people still cry freedom. And it just makes me proud to be a human. You think about that. Those people are fully aware of the potential consequences of their actions. They know that they can be disappeared. They know they can be sent to essentially a do-log, and yet they're out there doing it. And how disheartening must that be for the left in America to know that even if they get total control, there's still going to be that desire for freedom out there. You know, Joe, the difference between the people that are protesting for freedom in Cuba and the people that are protesting or rioting or whatever you want to call it in America for Marxism is the people in Cuba know exactly what Marxism will bring them. And the ones that want it here don't. I guess that's why we're not going to let any of them come here. Uh, Or at least if they want to come here, Apparently, they have to go to Central America, come through Mexico, and cross our southern border like everybody else, huh? Well, and and the press secretary to the president, you know, continuing the narrative that they're fighting oppression at the hands of the rich oligarchs rather than at the hands of the tyrannical government. Um, you know, why not? Well, you just keep spinning the idea that there's rich people who are keeping you down, uh, and we're the ones, we're the Robin Hoods who are going to go get it. Thank you for hanging on the line, Doctor Clark. I really appreciate it. Take care, Joe. Always, always. So let me get to this text because, you know, I was I was needled here about using socialism, uh, <laughs> using it as a scare word, like the public library, paved roads, and the wonderful police that protect us. All right, Frank, number one, the police are not there to protect us. That's an abstract. That is... That is, if they're doing their law enforcement job correctly, what winds up happening? But again, I was chided earlier by Gary for trying to be accurate. Accuracy in law enforcement is when your rights are violated, the police and the Commonwealth's attorney will come and gather evidence, find the person guilty of violating your rights, and then punish them in accordance with local ordinance. Those local ordinances are voted on and debated by the assembly people who are in charge of it. In some states and cities, it's the city council. Uh, in some states like Virginia, it's all based on what the General Assembly does in Richmond. 
So to be fair, yes, good law enforcement does have the after effect of protecting us because they find the people who hold your personal rights and and independent property, your private property, with disregard and punish them for it. So the educational after effect would be, if you do that, you'll go to jail. However, you know, to say the police, but none of what you said is socialism. These are all things that we agree we want to have. We want to have a place where people can, you know, we, we even agree that education being important, but then there is mission creep. See, once you establish that, sadly, as, you, as a later text of yours espoused, you know, we, we demagogue because everyone wants to be the next, insert your you know favorite elected official here. Everyone wants to be the next FDR. Everyone wants to be the next JFK. Everyone wants to be the next Ronald Reagan. Everyone wants to be, you know, the next Calvin Coolidge. Maybe we need somebody who wants to be the next Calvin Coolidge. Frighteningly, there are people out there who would like to be the next Woodrow Wilson. Those are the ones you need to keep an eye on. But, you know, statism, the idea that you can't and somebody else has to for you. Can we replace Rush Limbaugh in Charlottesville? We asked Rush. We are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. The Charlie Kirk Show on WCHV. Charlie Kirk's running the White House. So I think damn fool is a little harsh. Election transparency, and again, you want to talk about centralizing. H.R. 4 will centralize elections. Ken Cuccinelli, or the Susan B. Anthony List and the Election Transparency Initiative, former Attorney General, gubernatorial candidate, uh, uh, and uh, you know, chair of the 2016 GOP uh, nominating convention from Virginia. Uh, uh, Ken, uh, on with us to talk a little bit about H.R. 4 and, and, and election transparency in general, but I heard an interesting argument. I want to throw it out to you, Ken. Uh, and maybe this is the tightrope we walk in this, is that you know, the, the harder we push for election transparency, the more there are people who make the concern case for the privacy of the vote, the secret ballot. Um, is there a sweet spot where we have full election transparency where we can lay out spreadsheets and we can say, here's how many votes are cast, here's how many registered voters there are, without violating the secret ballot? Oh, yeah. You know, and, and obviously that's become very um, sacrosanct, though it didn't start that way. This is not some founding principle of the country. You used to go to the courthouse and raise your hand to vote in public. Yeah, some so, places still um, do that. You know, the the notion of the secret ballot developed later in American history, and um, there are good reasons for it. And and um, nonetheless, it's the one piece where you nobody lays eyes on. And in fact, much of the state legislation is blocking people. It's explicitly saying, and you can't be in a position to see how people vote. So there's steps being taken to protect that privacy 
as you cast your ballot. But the, if you think of it as the custody of evidence, the chain of evidence, um, how the ballot gets to the voter, who the voter is, how the ballot is handled afterwards, all of those things are of great interest. And we're all benefited by the transparent view of that entire process, again, by all concern. Mm-hmm. So anybody can raise any concerns they might have. And um, that's how we get to the confidence side of good elections. But first, we need to get to good elections. And I'd take you back 21 years, um, Bush v. Gore. You know, you and I are old enough to remember that. Maybe some of your listeners, not so much. But Bush v. Gore was uh, a point in time when only one state was contested. It was Florida in in the 2000 election. And their election system, honestly, was just held up as a sad joke. I mean, it was pathetic. Mm-hmm. The machines were pathetic. The ballots were pathetic. The methods used to count or to compare weren't the same in different parts of the state, which is ultimately what the Supreme Court case was, was that Florida was using different standards to count in different parts of the state. So they weren't even screwing up the same way all over the state. It was amazing. And um, so it was embarrassing for Florida. It was mortifying. So what did Florida do? They set about for several years at making changes to their election system, including, by the way, firing some of the most incompetent people American elections have ever seen, and um, and changing laws and procedures to improve them. So fast forward to 2020, when there were so many problems in so many states, and look, there were a lot of problems in a lot of states, um, and yet Florida, third largest state, the largest swing state, counted on election night. They were done counting. It went smoothly. No complaints from either side, and they were done. So, And yet they are still making efforts, even after 2020, to to continue to uh, guarantee transparency, uh, to um, improve their election systems. But it runs very well. It's one of the best in the country. So we know we can fix this problem, Mm -hmm. and every state handles it differently uh, because – that's the way the founders set it up, and it's run for 230 years. And um, and I think we just get after it. And at electiontransparency.org, we've been doing that. We've had success in making improvements in Florida. I, when I say making, we're, of course, supportive, playing coalition member. We happen to be a leader. Um, the Election Transparency Initiative is a joint project of the Susan B. Anthony List, the largest mm-hmm. pro-life organization in America. And the American Principles Project, pro-family, social conservative group, they're spending their time right now primarily focusing on keeping girls' sports for, well, girls. And uh, what a crazy idea. And um, But between them, they have a, over a million members, tremendous reach across the country, established grassroots networks that we can tap into for the support of election transparency. And people ask, why are these social conservative organizations jumping in? to voter issues, and the answer is quite simple. If you look at the progress we've made on the life issue across the country in the last 20 or 30 years, it's been very substantial and very steady, very steady. Mm -hmm. Talk about the truth is our friend. The more people learn about when life begins um, and the more obvious it is as technology marches forward, uh, the the better we do in the pro-life movement. So all we need is a fair playing field. That's all we're after. 
Um, we the, see Democrats in Washington, not all of them, but the radical leftists really want to control elections for the purposes of winning them. And I say winning, I should put that in air quotes, um, because they also want to register non-citizens, they want to register mm-hmm. illegal aliens, and so forth. And they've got federal bills in that do that. Well, I mean, when Marx himself says right and wrong is irrelevant, it's just about the outcome. Ken, hang on a second. And, and if you're looking for him online, it's electiontransparency.org. Where Central Virginia comes for world-class news and analysis since 2001. Seville 1075 and 1260 WCHV. Joe Thomas in the morning talking election uh, integrity and transparency with the Ken Cuccinelli. We're trying to get people to run for school boards and boards of supervisors, and they're not wanting to do it, not just for the doxing and the character assassination or the reputation assassination, uh, but also because they feel like if they get close, they're just going to stuff the ballot boxes, uh, Ken, there. Then you got this guy, Paul Goldman, who's out there suing to have a, an extra batch of General Assembly elections next year because he's sure that the Democratic Party, of which he used to be chair, is going to lose, and he wants to have another election yet next year after these districts are redrawn supposedly, uh, you know, partisanly, I guess, from his uh, standpoint there. I mean, you know, what we've done is we've driven the jobs out of these inner-city communities, then they become more, you know, ethnically indiverse. And then we go out and we say that that's proof that our districting has become uh, racist. Yeah, well, and, you know, their quote proof is nothing more than the accusation itself. Mm-hmm, right. Um, so, you know, that's uh, that, that it doesn't prove anything to me or you. Um, and when they do things like accuse us for six months of being racist because we support voter ID, although, by the way, Democrats have been proposing voter ID in Massachusetts, for instance, for three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then suddenly they flip and say, oh, no, we we never said it was racist. I mean, they literally declare they never said it. <clears throat> and the reason they make the flip is two reasons. One, Joe Manchin demands it in the federal bill, and so Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock and Jim Clyburn all say, oh, yeah, we're we're fine with voter ID, um, after they've been calling us racist for six months mm-hmm. um, for supporting it. Uh, and, and, and this is important, Stacey Abrams wants to run for governor again, and being on the wrong side of a 70-30 issue isn't a great way to walk into a campaign. <laughs> it's a good starting off point. What about Manchin? You know, you know is he still the linchpin on HR? It's HR four, right? The uh, the new grab at voting rights. No, he is not the only one. He's getting a lot of the attention, but the fact of the matter is, Kristen Cinema has been more stalwart than Joe Manchin among the Democrat senators in saying no. I'm, she's literally never given a crack of light. Uh, to the idea of watering down the filibuster, whereas Joe Manchin, you, you can never quite tell, and we all worry that he'll backtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other Democrat senators, some of them driven by election. The ones who worried because of election are Raphael Warnock in in uh, Georgia, sure. Mark Kelly in Arizona, uh, Masto in Nevada, and Hassan in New Hampshire. 
and New Hampshire, she's interesting because basically I think if Cuomo, the governor there, who has very high approval ratings, gets in the race against her next year, she will oppose changing the filibuster. And if he doesn't, she'll happily throw the filibuster overboard. (laughs) And for the non-geeks listening to you and I, the filibuster is the Senate rule that requires 60 senators to agree to proceed with a bill before you can uh, before you can obviously proceed or vote on it or pass it. So it's a supermajority requirement for legislation. And the idea is to require greater consensus across America before major changes are made. It's a big difference between the House mm-hmm. and the Senate. The only other major difference between the House and the Senate being that the Senate represents states as opposed to districts based on population. Well, and and once they became popularly elected, I was glad to see the filibuster at least does something to stop it from just being a a bunch of super legislators who get six-year terms uh, and never have to worry about, uh, you know, appeasing any voters the way a a member of the House uh, does. Ken, uh, you know, remind us again, you know, are are there events, are there things that our listeners can download from the Election Transparency Initiative that, that will help them locally when this stuff pops up? up uh, when you hear an event going on, when when the redistricting commission, which was supposedly bipartisan, uh, you know, comes along and the Democrats all wanted to, you know, have it say first, um, wh- what th- can they get from the initiative that will help them? So keep up with us at electiontransparency.org. I'm on Twitter at Ken Cuccinelli, spelled just like it sounds. And um, and then the election transparency is on there at ETI underscore transparency um, on Twitter as well. And uh, so we we update there very frequently um, and we uh, list rolling releases on the website. So and they encapsulate current goings on like Senate hearing this mm-hmm. past week or the Major League Baseball all star game being moved from the predominantly black city of Atlanta to the nearly non-black city of Denver in the name of race. Right. Um, you know, just ridiculous things like that. So we stay on top of it, and you can too, at electiontransparency.org. We'd love to have everybody's support, but really the engagement yeah. and hitting your congressmen and senators, even if it seems hopeless, let them know there are people who want to see elections secured and not kicked open. Well, even here locally to make sure that the General Assembly is keeping an eye on this nonpartisan redistricting commission, uh, because we have to be watching it very carefully to make sure it stays uh, nonpartisan and that it isn't drawing lines just to benefit one side or another. Uh, Ken, and you know, here we go with another 45 days of voting. I think September 17th, voting for the statewide races begins. Uh, so uh, also, yeah, we're get- under two months away. Get get involved with your you know local GOPs and call them and say, you don't wait for them to call you and ask you to be a poll watcher. Uh, volunteer now. Say I'll go to the you know, registrar's yeah, office. Yeah, even more than even more than that, Joe. I would suggest people like American Majority is doing trainings. They're a, they're five hundred one c three doing training for election officials. So there's two ways to participate. Oh, you yeah. can become an official election official on the inside, and that's what I would ask people to do, and do it for years at a time. Poll watchers are the party's um, uh, sort of watchdogs, and we need lots of those. But you, you need less watchdogs if more of your own allies are on the inside making sure things run cleanly and, and fairly. 
And I would urge people to go get that training and to uh, sign up with your registrars in your local area. Call them and tell them you want to participate. Uh, That's the best way to ensure your own confidence in the election is you participate in it. That brilliantly said. That's why you stole Brian Godstein from this program, Ken. Uh, appreciate <laughs> it, my friend. As always, great catching up with you. And uh, thank you for what you're doing at the Election Transparency Initiative, also the Susan B. Anthony list. Uh, and, you know, it's, you know, if you ever get a chance to and you want a really great example of, of how unhinged the left can be, listen to some leftists talk about Ken Cuccinelli and then spend half an hour with him. <laughs> and then you realize, hold it, that wasn't the guy that they told me he was at all. Uh, and uh, and you'll immediately start seeing, you know, the smoke behind the mirror. Uh, Ken, thank you, sir, as always. And you have an awesome weekend. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks, Joe. Rita Smith coming up uh, Tuesdays with Tom. He's promising uh, either a Cuba special or a Cuban sandwich uh, for us this morning. Fluvanna tries to get his Charlottesville on. And, uh, and again, apologies when Ken and I get together and start talking about stuff like this. It's like the radio version of uh, what did uh, what didn't Kevin Spacey call it at the uh, journalist dinner welcome to the radio nerd joe thomas now lars larson at six seville 1075 and 1260 wchv